All right, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that this would not be the opinions of man, but, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak. Minister to every heart. Pray for those that are here that are struggling. Whatever they may be going through, Lord, you know. Whether it's something with their health, trouble in their marriage, a, a, a prodigal son or daughter, financial issues, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that they would know that you will never leave them nor forsake them. The Lord, your hand is upon them, that you're a faithful God. And Lord, you're, you're the God of all comfort. And so Lord, minister to every heart. Now give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Lord, your word this morning is very direct and very condemning of false prophets. And Lord, we live in a time where everybody wants it to be gray, but Lord, your word is black and white. And Lord, we want to walk in truth. And so Lord, be our teacher. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we live in a time when everybody's pursuing political correctness. And the word woke's got a whole new meaning, amen? And the word gay's got a whole new meaning. And we live in a time when everybody wants us to compromise. And they want a big tent mentality. And the reality is that, you know what? Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Amen? So we praise his name, we worship his name. And we magnify his name. Most people will say this, and I hear this a lot. There's depravity in the message that is taught that is contrary to the gospel, but you'll hear people say, well, live and let live. And we can if we agree on the essentials of Christian doctrine. But as soon as we disagree on the resurrection, you're not a Christian. If we disagree on the the virgin birth, you're not a Christian. If you disagree that there's only one God, you're not a Christian, amen? Amen. And these false teachers, as we've been talking about in Peter, first Peter, it was about persecution from the outside. These early Christians were being persecuted. There's a time when Caesar Nero is feeding them the lions and being imprisoned for their faith. And then we get to second Peter, and now he focuses more not on outward persecution, but inward corruption how false teachers had come into the church. They're preaching another gospel and he's exhorting them to stand for the truth and not to fall for the lie. Amen? And there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians today that are not. Now we want to pray for them. We want to see them saved and we're never, you know, holier than thou or self-righteous. We're no better than anyone else. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? But that being said, we will stand for the truth and be unashamed of it. It's not live and let live, it's, it's reach out to people so they might know the truth. So in this morning's text, we're gonna see him refuting just false teachers and false prophets. And we've been looking at this for the last couple of weeks. And if you were here uh, last time, I told the message last time, the righteous judgment of a, lo- of a loving God. And we saw 11 attributes of false teachers. They don't have all of them necessarily, but they have some of them. First of all, they've always been around. They're moving in and among God's people. 
Uh, they secretly, they work secretly on the fringes of the church. They bring in deceptive heresies. They deny the essentials of the Christian faith. They deny, deny the truth of who Jesus is. All the cults do this. They make man more and God less. They make Jesus less and they make man more. We'll talk more about that. They bring destruction upon themselves because sin has consequences. They draw large crowds. You know, uh, if it was just based on the stuff that they said you would have, boy, being a Mormon would be tempting. You get to be God of your own planet one day. Really? That sounds pretty good. And you're going to populate that entire planet. You're going to have all these wives serving you for the rest of your life. And through them, you're going to populate the whole planet. And they're all going to worship you. That sounds like something Satan would go for. Amen? Because it's a pride-driven, man-centered, false gospel. And sadly, that's what false gospels do. They always, they reach out to your flesh. They reach out to your fleshly desires and try to entice you. They cause unbelievers uh, to look at Christianity with contempt. They're popular because they don't condone sin. They tell people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And in the end, they will not escape the righteous judgment. Then he gave them, and this ties into this morning's text, is why I'm going over it, three examples of God's righteous judgment upon wickedness. First, it was the fallen angels. Why did they fall? Because of pride and envy. The same reason we can fall, when we're envious of other people. We shouldn't be envious of other people. We should be burdened for other people. Amen? We shouldn't be envious of what they have and we don't have. We should want them to have what we have, which is Jesus Christ. We're the richest people on the planet because we have the Lord. Then the ancient world, as in the days of Noah, God brought righteous judgment. And people were blown away when I said this last week. Only eight people on the planet were delivered from God's righteous judgment out of millions, if not billions of people. So the planet was hugely uh, populated and only eight people were saved. You know, he desires that none should perish, but he won't force salvation on you. And then finally, it was Sodom and Gomorrah that fell due to the practice of homosexuality, unbridled lust, and perversion. And again, people don't like, again, how let's be politically correct. So real quick, before we get in the text, I got, a, I got an email this week. And the email that I got this week said this, we're looking for a church. We just want to know if, you're gonna, if we can fit in with you guys. First thing she said is, I want you to confirm that you're LGBTQT, confirming, affirming, and you know, rejoice, joyful about that choice in their life. Okay, no. <laughs> and then it went on to say there's seven or eight things they wanted. Then they wanted to know the last book that I read by a black author. And I'm like, what in the world is this mess right here? So I wrote back and I said, yeah, we're probably not the church for you. And let me tell you why. We don't condone sin. And I'm not talking about every kind of sin, adultery, fornication, lying, whatever it is. We all struggle with sin, right? Can I amen to that? We're all sinners saved by grace. But it's different to struggle with it and repent when you sin. And it's another thing to celebrate it, amen? So I wrote back to her, yeah, no, homosexuality is sin. No, it's a false God. No, that's what God condemns. And she wrote me back and said, you need to educate yourself on the Bible because the Bible nowhere says that homosexuality is wrong. So I sent back 40 verses <laughs> of all the places it's condemned. But I also told her, but we love, I said, I pastored a church in Santa Cruz, the largest homosexual population per capita in the country. And we love homosexuals and we love because we love sinners like me. Amen. But we don't say it's okay. And by the way, if you're here and you're committing adultery, we love you. Knock it off. <laughs> Amen. 
The point is we don't condone sinful behavior, but see, that's what was happening. False teachers come along. They preach another gospel. They want to water down the truth. You know what it is? It's, it's the devil at work because if he cannot keep you from going to heaven, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. And if he can keep you away from the truth by giving you a lie that sounds a lot like the truth, he'll be happy to do it. So I tell the message this morning, two paths, pick one. First of all, we're going to see the destiny of the righteous. This should be a word of encouragement for all of us. Now, we're not righteous because we're perfect. We're righteous because we have right standing with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Secondly, we're going to see the destiny and description of the ungodly. Now, he's mainly going to be speaking about false prophets, but it will also be something that we all should look at for what does it mean to be a Christian. So we're going to see some things, you know, there's a thing called posers. You ever heard of what a poser is? Every surfer in the room does. But I went, I went to two high schools that were both on the beach, and we had posers. And we, these were guys that walked around with surf gear on, and puka, this is back in the day, puka shells, surf gear, walking around their, you know, their slippers, their flip-flops, and they got all the stickers on, and they got a surfboard on top of their car, and they'd never been in the ocean once. And they called them posers. That dude's a poser. We have Christian posers. People that proclaim to be Christians and might have a Christian t-shirt and a Bible they carry around once in a while, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Guys, it's got to go beyond what we call ourselves, but who we are in Christ. Amen? I had a coworker that once told me, well, I'm a Christian. I was born in the United States. That makes me a Christian. There's a Christian nation. I had no choice in becoming a Christian. It's like the size of my foot. It was just given to me. I'm like, no, bro, that's not it. And so as we go through this, I know it's heavy stuff, Okay. But as we read it, we need to recognize this is what the enemy is using. And the lady at the end, we went back and forth about five times. And I, she finally said, you're dividing the church. I said, no, we're dividing between the sheep and the goats. Amen? We're dividing between the truth and a lie. We need to stand for the truth. Amen? So the destiny and description of the ungodly, we'll see it focuses mainly on the depravity of false prophets. And we'll see the attributes of the false prophets and unbelievers. And again, some of these may be sins we struggle with, but as believers, hopefully, when we do, we're quickly repentant. We don't live in it. We don't make excuses for it. And we don't choose it as a lifestyle. Amen? So let's begin there in verse 7 of Second Peter, picking up right where we left off with Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says there, we're going to look at the destiny of the righteous. And he says, and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Now, have, have you guys ever read the Old Testament? Because if you have, are you not baptized? It's called righteous lot. We know a lot about lot and not very much of it's righteous. Can I get an amen? Let's, let's, let me catch you up on lot. Here's what happened. He was Abraham's nephew. And he went with Abraham when he went out not knowing where he was going. And then Abraham, out of his faithlessness, uh, during a famine, went down into Egypt when he lied about his wife and said she was his sister. You guys remember that? That's a man of faith, by the way. The father of faith. There it is, okay? That just goes to show you we want to put our, our faith in a man. We put our faith in Christ. Amen? But Lot went with them. And by the time they came out, they were both extremely wealthy. And it's, it's been said you could take Lot out of Egypt, but you couldn't take the Egypt out of Lot. And so what happened was they got to a place where they, had, they were so, both so wealthy and had such huge herds, they couldn't settle in the same place. 
And so they're in this green lush area and Abraham, even though he's the uncle and the elder who could have chosen himself, says to Lot, you choose one place and I'll take the other. And it says that Lot cast his eyes towards Sodom and said, boy, the grass is green over there. And so he, he pitched a tent towards Sodom and then he was living outside the gates of Sodom. Then he moved into Sodom and then he was one of the leaders in Sodom. And this is what can happen in our lives where before you know it, if we start compromising with the world, before you know it, the, the world has got us wrapped up. And so here's Lot, and that was the man that he was. And if you'll remember what took place is they came to Lot's house. So the angels came because Abraham prayed for God's deliverance of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, well, if you'll find a hundred righteous, got down to 10. If you can find 10 righteous, I'll save it. And so the angels come to check out the land and, and Lot sees they're gonna, they're gonna camp out out in the town square. And he's like, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> no, 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 no. Come to my house. Well, the, the men in town found out that there were two men in town. There were angels, they didn't know that, but two men in town. So they came to Lot's house and were knocking the door down saying, send them out so we can have sex with them. Depravity running amok. Now, what does Lot do? Now, I want to tell you what, when I get to heaven, we're all going to love each other, but I'd love to give this brother a forearm shiver over this one, because here's what he says. Leave the men alone, I'll tell my two virgin daughters, you can do with them as you will. Does that sound like righteous anything? This is Lot, and he's called righteous. Aren't you thankful that God sees us through the shed blood of his son and not based on how good our works are? Amen. Amen. Now, good works are fruit of salvation, but they're certainly not the source of salvation. So depravity is running amok. And in the midst of it, it says their righteous lot was oppressed by the filthiness, the filthy conduct of the wicked. Again, Lot had chosen to live there. And by the way, he's lived there for more than a decade. So he's become so desensitized to sin. And this is something we all need to be leery of because we can become desensitized to sin. Amen? You hear about it enough, you're around it enough, now all of a sudden you don't think it's so bad. I remember the first time I heard about a drive-by shooting. 20 years ago, whenever it was, I thought, you mean they just drove by and, and fired a gun into houses and would just reckless? Are you kidding me? Now we hear about it every day and it's, oh, there's another one. And we're desensitized to how horrible that is to some degree. Amen. And the same thing happens with homosexuality and adultery and fornication and all these other, you know, lying, gossip, whatever, greed. And what happens is, oh, greed is, oh, he's just driven for money right? It's not, it's not uh, adultery. It's an affair. Having a catered affair, right? No, it's not an affair. It's adultery. Amen? But what happened was Lot had lived so long in Sodom that he recognized things were still wrong, but he got to the place where he was willing to stay in the midst of it. Look, as believers, we need to take action and not just sit by and watch sinful behavior run over the top of our house. Amen? And I want to encourage you, be careful about how you entertain yourself at home and the things that you let your kids watch and the things that you bring before their eyes because we get desensitized. And before you know it, the world has crept into our houses. Amen? 
So he looked only with physical eyes when he went to Sodom. And now, again, the riotous mob has come and Lot, who was oppressed. The word oppressed there is vexed. If you have a King James, old King James says vexed. It means to tire down with toil, to exhaust with labor, to affect or oppress. He was at the point where conduct same time. I'll keep talking. So he was vexed by it, but he didn't do anything about it. I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. My brother, you know, my, you know, you know that my mom went to heaven, then my son went to heaven, and a couple weeks ago, my brother went to heaven. And, and the last two, of course, were surprises. But one thing is I remember about my brother, one of our last conversations, he, is he had thrown his roommate out of his house. And I said, what happened? He goes, he kept taking Jesus' name in vain. If you knew my brother, Mark, he was this big, gruff guy with a beard down here. We were not twins. Let's just put it that way. So... Mark was just very concrete guy. You had to throw him out. I said, what happened? He kept taking Jesus' name in vain. It was bugging me. Kept hurting my heart. Kept telling him to knock it off. He wouldn't. I threw him out. I'm like, okay, Mark. That's taking action. Can I get an amen to that? That's where something, you see something that grieves your heart and you do something about it. Amen? Well, he was vexed, but he wasn't taking any action. And it's so tragic. It says filthy conduct. The word there really is sexual debauchery. It's hard to fully grasp the depths of wickedness and perversion that surrounded Lot. And the text here tells us it was finally wearing on him. He finally got to the point where he was like, man, this is not good. This is not good. But again, if you look at his actions alone, tolerating it, willing to send out his virgin daughters, remaining in that land all that time, Doing nothing about it, that doesn't sound like a righteous man. Verse 8 says, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing these lawless deeds. The word tormented there was grievously pained. While tormented by all the perversion going on around him, again, he wasn't tormented enough. Again, he was there at least 10 years, some believe over 20 years. And while his soul was tormented, he failed to follow through with godly actions and separate himself and his family from the wickedness. Here's the sad part. We know that Lot got rescued. We'll see that. But do you know that, that not all of his family did? You know that when he approached his son-in-laws and told them what was going on around him was wicked, they just laughed him off? And do you know that some of his daughters and his son-in-law and eventually his wife who looked back at Sodom all died? Why? Because he never took a stand. Because he was never willing to take a stand for the truth. Again, we become sensitized to it. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. Amen? The boat's in the water. We don't want the water in the boat. Amen? We need to remain faithful to the word of God. Lot delivered by the Lord because of his righteous soul, yet he lost almost everything else, including his wife and most of his family because of his too close association with these wicked cities. I want to tell you, parents, you are fighting for your children's futures. And you need to take a stand. Now, we, we don't want to be self-righteous jerks, amen? But that being said, it's okay to tell your kids, no. Amen. Got enough friends, they need parents. And when they're invited, I've told this, my daughter was invited when she was a senior in high school and she went to a pretty wealthy, we, we sent our kids there only because it was the only Christian school in Santa Cruz. And they were, the guy was literally having his birthday on an island and they invited the entire senior class 
and there were going to be six chaperones for like 220 kids. And I'm like, there's no way in the world my daughter's going anywhere near that. And the parents came and gave me, he said, every senior's going their daughter. I said, well, that's because I'm only her dad. If I was anybody else's dad, none of them be going either. <laughs> and my daughter was not happy with me. Dad, it's our senior thing. And I said, no, no. Here's the sad part. My daughter goes to school on Monday. She comes home and she comes into the house and she, she was eight, 17 years old. She came and sat on my lap. She said, dad, you're not going to believe what happened. Two or three girls were, you know, basically raped because they were all sleeping in tents and guys went in and, and, you know, got their hands on them. And, and, uh, and I said, see now, if you had gone and one of them had touched you, I'd be doing prison ministry because <laughs> I would kill them and snake. making is doing what is right is rarely popular and doing what is popular is rarely right. And we need to make a stand. And Lot didn't do that. You know what happened to Lot? He lost his family. He lost his family because he would not stand up. You know, the sad part is it gets worse because the two daughters that escaped with him got drunk and he impregnated both of his daughters. This is righteous Lot. What an incredible testimony of God's grace. Amen? You know what that means? Behind the, there we go. We'll try that. Okay. Blessed are the flexible. They'll not be broken. Amen? All right. So where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. We're thankful for God's grace. Amen? Amen. I'm thankful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm thankful that he knows me best and he loves me most. He knows you best. He knows the most wicked, vile things you've ever done. Thoughts you've had that no one else has ever had. And he still loves you because that's our God. Amen? He's a God of grace. At the same time, may we not remain complacent. Even though where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You know, uh, freedom from sin is not freedom to sin. And liberty from our sin and our past sin is not licensed to keep on sinning. Amen? And so when, when we are living amongst the world, we should be impacting the world, not the world impacting us. Amen? And so here's righteous Lot, because in the midst of all of that, the Lord saw his heart. In the world, but not of it, ministering to the world, but having no fellowship with it. Verse 9. Then the Lord, it says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve, reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So before he poured out the flames and before he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah, he delivered righteous Lot. He, he was able to escape the judgment that was to come. And so as we're talking about the destiny of the righteous, praise God that while God will bring righteous judgment, by his grace, we will be delivered from it. Amen? And we know, sadly, that not very, very many people were delivered. And there's only two camps. You need to pick one. Faithful to righteously judge the ungodly and mercifully deliver the redeemed. You know, that's our God. The Lord is holy, he's righteous, he's just, and he is faithful. And notice it says there, he delivers the ungodly out of what? Temptations. God, by considerable effort, delivered Lot prior to pouring out his judgment. So, too, he will remove us. Now, some of you may disagree with me, and we can, we can disagree on this because this is not a salvation issue. Uh, 
And there are people that believe that as Christians, we will go through the tribulation. I do not believe that at all. And the reason I don't believe that is the Bible. First of all, if you read Revelation, you see the church in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and then John is told to come up here. He's the one writing the book of Revelation, the first verse of chapter 4. And the word there is harpazo or raptura, where we get the word rapture. And for the rest of the book, you see John writing about the world from a heavenly perspective, and you don't see the church mentioned again until we come back with Jesus. So you have the church age, and then you have the seven-year tribulation that the book of Revelation writes about, and guess what? You don't see the church mentioned at all. You see people getting saved during it, but praise God, just like he delivered Lot, and he delivered Noah, he's going to deliver us before his judgment comes. Amen? And praise God for that. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our punishment. We're not appointed to wrath. And Thessalonians also tells us he has delivered us from the wrath which is to come. We don't have to deal with the wrath because Jesus bore it and paid the price for it on the cross of Calvary. Now, he notice it says he delivers you from your temptations. Who tempts you? The devil. The Lord never tempts you. The Lord may test you, but he won't tempt you. So temptation comes from the enemy. Here's something to be reminded of. Isn't it good to know that you're never alone when you're being tempted? Because the Lord is with you. Amen? Amen. And Satan wants to draw you away. And part of the struggle, I would pray this with my son Mark who struggled with depression for 15 years. And he would always say, Dad, why won't God take the depression away? I fasted, I've prayed, I've gone on my knees, I've cried out to God. He won't take the depression away. I said, son, because the depression doesn't come from the Lord, it comes from the enemy. So here's the real prayer. When I'm struggling with depression, help me to run to the Lord and not from him. Amen? And when you're tempted, your prayer should be, Lord, this is a temptation for me. Help me to run to you, not from you, when, when I'm being tempted by the enemy. He delivers the godly out of temptation. So he is with you when you are being tempted. By the way, I've said this many times. When you're tempted, it's not just an opportunity to fall. It's an opportunity to grow. Because when you succumb to the temptation, you fall. But when you resist the temptation, what does the Bible say? Resist the devil and he will what? He flees from you. So when you resist the temptation, you grow. So when temptation comes, don't think, oh man, I'm being tempted. Say, praise God, I'm being tempted and God's going to get this one. Amen? You know what? I'm going to resist it. And do you know the more times you resist the temptation, the less tempting it is in the future? Amen? So we need to know that we will be tempted, but our God is greater than any temptation. And by the way, Satan knows you well enough to tempt you with what he knows will be tempting to you. He can't tempt me with Brussels sprouts or lima beans. It's not going to happen. <laughs> leave those in my kitchen for 100 years. I'm not going anywhere near them. I want no part of it. Now, tri-tip might be a problem. Amen? <laughs> so he knows what your weakness is, and that's what he will tempt you with. Whether it's pride or, or lust or you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. And he's going to tempt you with those things. And you know, while God will indeed judge and punish the ungodly, while powerfully delivering the faithful servants. And note, the, the godly man is not preserved from temptation. He will be preserved in temptation. Then he will be delivered out of it. Isn't it good when that temptation comes and you resist it and then it's past? Don't you, aren't you blessed when it's past? And I, my prayer again is when temptation comes, that's time to pray. Lord, help me. You know I'm being tempted. I know this isn't coming from you. I need your help. Help me, Lord. One of my favorite prayers. Lord, help. He doesn't keep us from the fire, but he delivers us through it. Joseph. See a man of God? What's the answer? 
Yes, sold into slavery, unjustly imprisoned, but God was with him every step of the way. Before it was over, he was the prince of Egypt. Amen? Daniel, in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And I love that they were thrown into the fire, but had to be called out of the fire because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? Amen. And every fire we go through, the Lord is in the fire with us. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The apostles were persecuted, imprisoned, and martyred. Christians around the world are being persecuted. Some even being put to death. But in the end, the Lord knows how to rescue us how to deliver us out of temptation. And he will rescue us from this planet before he pours out his righteous judgment. And by the way, for Christians, that's, death is deliverance. Amen. Amen? You pray for someone's healing and then they die and you say, I thought God was going to heal them. He did. Because <laughs> heaven's better. Amen? And you know what? As believers, the, the, the closer we get to the end and the more closer we get to the Lord, the less fear we have about death. You can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? And people are petrified and walk around like this. And the reason we don't share our faith is we're afraid of what people will say. And we walk like that. Why? Because we're so focused on the world and we need to be focused more on the Lord. We need to be so heavenly minded that, we're heavenly, that we do good things. People will say, we're so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Never met that person. I meet people that are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. And as believers, our focus should be on heaven. So point number one there. The destiny of the righteous will be delivered out of temptation. God has not appointed us into wrath. He will rescue us before he pours out righteous judgment. Now it's going to get heavy. You ready? Here it comes. Destiny and description of the ungodly, mainly speaking of false prophets, but it also speaks of people that follow in their footsteps. It says in verse 10, it says, The unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. So he starts off by giving us a list of some things that we will see in false prophets. And, and again, to some degree, in people who are Christian posers, right? So they walk in uncleanness. That word there is sexual immorality. It's all forms. If you can call yourself a Christian here this morning, if you do, and you are living with somebody, you need to reread your Bible and move out. Amen? I didn't come for this. I was invited to church. I didn't know I was going to get picked up. <laughs> Bible says it is fornicators and adulterers who will not inherit the kingdom of God. When I tell people that my daughter's first kiss of her life was when I said, you may kiss the bride, they all think I'm lying. That was her choice, not mine. Um, I think my son-in-law was scared to death of me, but that helped. But here's the thing. We're surprised when people honor God into marriage because we become desensitized to sin. Amen? If someone's 23 years, I was in college, and people are like, you're still a virgin? You're having yeah, I'm waiting for my wife. What? People think that's the craziest thing they've ever heard. Amen? When people take a stand, God, guys, God's way is always the best way. And do, again, doing what is right is rarely easy, but doing what is easy is rarely right. And, we, and if you're sexually active outside the confines of marriage, here's what, the, by the way, I know we're talking about this, but if, we have children's ministry, okay? But here's the reality. If you read your Bible, you will know that the enemy wants everybody who's not married to be having as much sex as possible and the people that are married to stop having sex altogether. That's Satan's plan. Because it was created for marriage, 
it knits the heart of the husband and wife together. And God says the marriage bed is undefiled and every other, man, every, every other bed is defiled. Amen? Amen? And some people don't like bringing their boyfriends around me. And that's okay. Because I'll ask them, where you at with Jesus, bro? And if you put your hand on her, because I will break you off in Jesus' name. Hey, <laughs> we are to be different than the world. Amen? By the way, if he loves you, he'll wait. If he won't wait, he's not worthy of you. Amen? Amen? I'm a dad. <laughs> Guys, we're not just anybody in the world. We're Christians. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We do not succumb to the world's way of living life. We follow what the Word of God says. And I want to encourage you to in, in, instill that into the hearts of your children. Praise God. Praise God for Hillcrest Christian School, by the way. Amen. Amen. Praise God for this school. We thank God for this school. We're thankful for the, the partnership that we have with them here. We're thankful for, you know, so many of the teachers and people that are on this campus, including my wife, are part of this fellowship, and we love you guys. And, but you know what? Praise God for a school where Jesus is lifted up. Amen. Praise God for a school where they got Joshua Camper as the campus pastor. You think the Bible's being taught around here? So the reality is that we need to set that example for our children because so many kids wander away from the Lord when they get to college because they don't have a strong foundation. Amen? And we need to make sure we don't compromise in our homes because if we do, they will compromise as soon as they get in the world. While the apostles and the apostles were pillars of the early church, they taught that we as Christians are to live holy and set apart lives, godly lives. These false teachers had come along and said, you don't need to worry about your behavior. You don't need to be sexually pure. You don't need to hold to a standard, uh, standard of being pure and holy before God. Anything goes. I'll never forget, I ran into a lady. I, the church I pastored in Santa Cruz is pretty large, so when I'd go out, people would recognize me. And I went into this bookstore, and the lady came up to me and said, oh, you're the guy that's on, the t on TV and the radio. And she said, I said, yeah. And she was there, and she was about eight months pregnant, and she was looking for a... Happy Father's Day card. I said, oh, that's wonderful. You're getting your husband his first Father's Day card. That's going to be great. She said, well, he's not my husband. We're just living together. And I said, okay. And we just love people like that. Amen? Amen. Just love on them. And she said, well, you know, I used to go to this church that condemned us living together. And so I left that church. And now I found a church that's okay with it. So we just go there. Because here's what happens. We're more worried about offending somebody than discipling somebody. Amen? More worried about how they're going to feel when they leave the message. And it's just tragic. I love to go there because they never talk about sin. They make me feel good about myself. By the way, if you come to church and you don't get convicted, you should go find another church. Amen? By the way, you get this for an hour. I get it for 30. Okay? So believe me, I've been convicted all week. I get it. You know what? We welcome all people. We love all people. And... Those who claim to be saved must be held to a standard of salvation. Amen? Christians don't stab each other in the back. We stab each other in the front. Bro, what's up? And you need to do that in my life. We want to be accountable. Amen? It's a good thing. Notice it says that they despise authority. The context there is heavenly authority, God's authority, the authority of his word. You know, my authority, opinions are above God's word, some false teachers will say. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I've got a better way. I, I, I got a new revelation from God that contradicts the revelation he already gave us. They despise authority. 
And you'll see people that are really struggling and you'll find out there's no real godly authority in their life of any kind. They don't have the Lord in their life. They don't have people discipling them and speaking into their life. Seen today, and not only those who question or reject his word, but also those who struggle with absolutes. Uh, is the world, is Satan trying to get rid of absolutes? What's the answer? Absolute truth. Are you kidding me? There's no absolute truth. We can't even, we can't get down to just there's boys and girls. Help me out here. Amen. There's no absolute truth. Two plus two can't even be four. They'll debate that. I was watching the sin and they were saying, calling moms birthing people. What, what is going on around? Here's what's happened. We've lost absolute truth. Amen. When that lady wrote me back from the text, she said, you're acting like what you believe is absolute truth. And what you should say is, I believe this is what it means, but I don't know. I said, if that were the case, I would stop reading a book. Amen. It's absolute truth. We don't need to apologize for it. You know what? It's not a new mind that's happening today. It's just the same old way of rebellion. The word presumptuous there is bold in their false teaching. During and in their time, their freedom to continue on in their sinful behavior and direct disobedience to the word of God, just because somebody yells doesn't mean they're telling the truth. Amen? Just because someone's bold doesn't mean it's right. And too often we'll see that in the world today where people will will stand up and will mock God and how they teach. And they'll talk about being wealthy and how they've got a $60 million house and jets and how God's blessed them. And they'll mock what God would teach about that. They'll, they'll call it seed money when it's the word of God. They'll change what the word of God means and they'll say it with great boldness and people will praise them and send them money. They're presumptuous. They're self-willed. Who was the first one who was self-willed? Yeah, if you go to Isaiah, it says, I will be like the most high. I will. I will sit upon. I will. I will. The elevation of self is demonic. Think about that the next time you're taking a selfie. <laughs> I love, we, we, my family, we said we don't do selfies, we do ussies, right? But the point is that I think it's okay to send a picture. My, my love, my, I get pictures of my grandkids. I love that, right? But the point is, we are so focused on ourselves. We think the whole world cares what we had for breakfast. Amen? We take pictures of our stuff. We take pictures of ourselves. We'll take 37 pictures of ourselves. We were at a, we were at a Dodger Giant game the other day. And we we're sitting behind the, the, my, my sons and I. And they were sitting behind these two. And they, they were literally taking selfies and looking at their phone the entire time and adjusting their selfie for three hours. And I'm like... Lord help. Amen. And we are so focused on ourselves. We focus on ourselves way too much. Amen. We focus on ourselves too much. We're following the example of the devil who said, I will, I will, I will. It's about me. I want to make sure that my story is told. I want to make sure they hear what I have to say. I want to be noticed. I want to be famous. Right? There's such a pursuit of fame. People judge themselves on how many followers they have. You know what we should be judged? Well, the only thing we're judged on is not how many people are following us, but who we're following. Yeah. Amen? We need to be following the Lord. Notice it says they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. No authority, heaven or earth, that they are not afraid to attack. When they preach a false gospel, they're attacking the author of the word. Amen? When they preach a false gospel or they slander, there's no fear in them to speaking of those in authority. You know, we as Christians need to be careful of that too. 
Amen? amen. It's kind of easy right now to pick on authorities. Would you, can I get an amen to that? Amen. Every time you drive by the gas station, right? Yeah. <laughs> we need to pray for our president. Amen. Does Jesus love him? Yes. Did he die for him? Yes. Let's pray for him. Amen? I didn't come for that today. I'm okay with hellfire, but don't tell me to pray for the president, right? <laughs> we need to pray for those in leadership, amen? The Lord loves them, and we need to love them too, amen? It says there in verse uh, 11, Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Again, those who are more mighty and more powerful, this is something they would never do, and we shouldn't do it either. Verse 12. Now notice so far we've already seen attributes of false prophets are sexually immoral. They despise authority. They're presumptuous. They're bold in their false teaching and godless behavior. They're self-willed. They speak evil of dignitaries. Now watch this. Verse 12. But these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Here's what they do. They elevate their ideas above the word of God. I remember Pastor Chuck was in a debate with a guy, this is years ago, and they were on the radio together and Chuck kept quoting the Bible and talking about Jesus and the guy who was debating, who was supposed to be a Christian said, well, hey, that was 2000 years ago and we know more about the Bible today than Jesus did. And Chuck hung up and they called him back. And he said, would you get disconnected? He goes, no, anybody who thinks they know more than Jesus, I'm done talking to him. Amen. We're all idiots compared to God. Amen. And the Lord and him alone is the example of truth. They're elevating their own ideas above the word of God. It does not reveal intelligence, but ignorance. How foolish, claiming to be wise, they become as fools. Finite man elevating his thoughts and intellect above infinite God. Like natural beasts, no smarter than a cow in the pasture. That's what it means, literally. They're like, they're like beasts in the field that are chewing on grass. Not, willing to, not recognizing that day after tomorrow they could be in and out burger. Amen? And they're just sitting there. They have no idea what's coming. They're living in total ignorance. And that's the world. The world needs Jesus, amen? And they're like brute beasts. Again, cow better off than a false prophet because the cow's dead in, a, in an instant. The false prophet will face eternal judgment in full measure of their own corruption. Again, I know people get mad, they get upset with me. Pastor Dave, why you got to pick on the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses? And why you got, because it's a doctrine of the devil. Amen? It leads people away from the... Now, do we love them? What's the answer? Of course. I would love to live in a neighborhood filled with Mormons because no one would steal my stuff and I'd have a huge mission field. Amen? It'd be great. Right? It would just be great. But that being said, we need to love people enough to tell them the truth. Amen? They speak evil of things they do not understand. It says, and they will receive the wages of unrighteousness, verse 13, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Look, they don't even, what it really means is they have no shame and they don't hide their sin. They carouse in the daytime. It means they commit sinful acts in front of the whole world and they're proud of it. Again, are you guys affirming? Are you open and affirming? Uh, we're open and affirming of Jesus. We're not opening and affirming of, of ungodly behavior. It's not okay. Amen? They're headed to destruction. By the way, gay used to mean happy, and now it means 
destruction. Amen? And we want to pray for them, and we want to love them. By the way, we're all sinners, and we, we don't look down as people as less than us, but it's a hard struggle. And we, don't want to condone, we don't want to condone adultery. We don't want to condone fornication. We don't want to condone homosexuality. We don't want to condone people changing their sexes. Why? Because it's contrary to the word of God. God doesn't make mistakes. If he made you a man, you're a man. If he made you a woman, you're a woman. Amen? Amen. And dress appropriately. Amen? <laughs> to have no shame. They live openly immoral and sinful lives, and they would come and feast with them. They'd come to the church into church and just openly be living in their sin. Years ago, and I never share names, so it doesn't matter as an example, there was a couple that started coming to our church, and they've been coming for a while. And then one Sunday I get up and he's sitting over here with this woman, and his wife's sitting over there with his kids, and he's with this woman with his arm around her. And I'm like, Yeah, I don't think that's happening. So literally, I was getting ready to teach, and I said, do another worship song. I said, bro, come here, I need to talk to you. I went behind the stage. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, that's my girlfriend, my wife, and I are getting a divorce. No, 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 no. Guys, openly thinks he can come to church with his new girlfriend while he's still married, and he's committing adultery, and we're going to just act like it's no big deal. Amen? No, loved him enough, and I told her, you know he's married, right? That's his wife right over there. Those are his three kids. And bro, you need to go. I told her she could stay without him. Amen? But, but, but guys, we can't get to the place where we just think that our sin's okay. Sin is a big deal. because You know why it's a big deal? Because Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for it. Amen? The greatest act of love in all of human history took place because of our sin. They had love feasts and communion and living sinful lives and coming to communion, coming to the Lord's table as if nothing was wrong. And again, too often it's, well, I just want to love people. And again, I get that. I, wanna, I love everybody. I, don't, I, I just want to see everybody go to heaven. Amen? But we got to love people enough to draw them toward the Lord. Amen? To tell, it's not loving if your car's driving off a cliff and I just wave at you as you go by. You know what's loving? Jumping in the car and doing everything I can to stop it from going off the cliff. Amen? And that's the exhortation here. Spots and blemishes ruin the garment and their presence at, at the Lord's table, their presence while taking communion was a mocking of the call to live holy lives. It says that they are blemishes on, on communion. They're blemishes on the church itself because, again, not because they sinned, because if that were the case, nobody could come to church because we're all sinners. But the difference is living openly in rebellion to Almighty God, acting like it's okay, and then typically this is what happens. Then they want everybody else to celebrate it with them. We need you to condone it. And we can't do that. Notice what it says here in verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. Even as they're about their religious duties, they're checking out women looking for a, a good-looking and unstable person in her faith, using his position and authority to draw the weak into adultery. Boy, it's common then and it's common today. When I go to pastor's conferences, especially when Pastor Chuck was still here, virtually every pastor's conference, the first message, he would say, everybody look around, there's 2,500 pastors in here. Look around. He says, some of you won't be here next year because you're going to be disqualified from ministry because you're going to make an ungodly choice. And they would teach a message, touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. And the reality is probably the number one reason that people fall in ministry is sexual immorality. Amen? And you know why that happens? 
because someone's in a position of authority that women may look up to. And then what they do is they're taking the position of a, of a godly man speaking into their life, and then they take advantage of them. And it's tragic. Amen? It's tragic. By the way, uh, you know, the church I pastor in Santa Cruz, I told all my assistants, if you're in your office alone with a woman, you're fired. Go out in the cafe, ask one of the women who was on staff to come out and sit with you. That's not acceptable. We want to avoid the appearance of evil. Amen? How do we do that? I'm fine praying with somebody here in this room, but I'm not going to go in. A, no, you can't do that. Amen? And so here's the exhortation. Their eyes are filled with adultery. The heart is trained in covetous practices. The love of money. You know how to separate people from it. I remember not that long ago on TBN that this couple came on and they said, our house burnt down. They were in ministry, well-known in ministry. Our house burnt down. We lost everything but the clothes on our backs. And they were weeping on the show. And they did this whole thing. And like $60 million got contributed to, to help these people. And then 2020 or somebody went out and found out they had four more mansions and the house that burnt down was their pool house. But they separated people from money by using, you know, their influence. It's just tragic. Justify wealth. CEOs have mansions. Why shouldn't a servant of God? Well, Jesus had no place to lay his head. And it's okay to have possessions, but they better not possess you. And they better not be more important than the Lord. Amen? Amen. By the way, if you're in the stock market, you're learning right about now. <laughs> that they don't last. Amen? The Bible tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, it's so tragic when we get caught up in the things of the world and we get distracted from what really matters. Here's what matters. You've heard me say it a hundred times. One more. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? Amen. My brother went to heaven. His house sits there. It means nothing to him now. Amen? When, people, when we die, the stuff that used to be important to us just isn't important anymore. We should make it not important now so we can focus on eternity and ministering to th the thing that does matter, which is people. Have eyes of adultery. It says they have a heart trained in covetousness and practices and are accursed children. So they know how to get people's money. They know how to manipulate people. They know, and you know what? And they think because they've got a lot of money that they're doing the right thing. There was a guy that sent me a message not long ago, and his whole message was seed giving, seed giving, seed giving. And he said, I, you know, I've, I've heard about you, and I, what do you think of my message? I said, I think you need to repent. And he was like, what? And he goes, oh, you believe in the poverty, the poverty gospel? I said, well, no, you believe in a poverty gospel because you're pursuing things that will all burn, and we pursue that which will outlast this life. The greatest riches you have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And guys, nobody can ever take that from you, no matter how bad the stock market does. Amen? Because we have real riches in the Lord. They justify their wealth. They're accursed children. Now watch this. This may, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of, a, of unrighteousness. If you guys remember who Balaam was, Balaam, there was a king by the name of Balak, who was a king of Moab. And he went to Balaam because Balaam was a, a prophet. And he said, I want you to come and curse God's people because they're too great for me to win a battle against. And so he gave him enough money that Balaam agreed to do it. And then Balaam would come up and look out on God's people and he'd try to curse them and only blessings would come out of his mouth. 
Well, then Balaam also kept getting money from this king. He kept laying money on him and saying, look, I'll give you some more money. I'll give you some more money. And again, each time he would go up and try to curse them, four times he did it. So Balaam finally told Balak, you'll never defeat these people from the outside. You'll never be able to attack them from the outside. Here, their God is too great. The only way you'll defeat them is from the inside. So what did he do? He said, he told Balak, send a bunch of the pagan women down into the camp, have them bring their idols with them, and let the men know that part of their worship is to have sex with the men. And you'll, you'll fool the men, and you'll fool them into idolatry, and they'll commit immorality, and that's the way you're going to get them. See, again, because often we won't take the attack from the outside, so instead, so send the women into the camp, have them entice the, uh, uh, the young Israelite men into adultery, have them bring their idols and burn incense to their false gods, and tell them that sex is a form of worship, and you'll get a lot of guys to sign up for that program. Do that. Their God will be forced to raise up and judge them, and that's exactly what happened. Now, the great lesson for us is you can't be defeated from the outside. The devil and all his demons can't defeat you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So we don't have to be afraid of the enemy. We leave the enemy in God's hands. By the way, you know Satan's a defeated foe, right? He's done. He's still, now, he still has free reign. He still wants to take us with him, but God has defeated him. Defeat comes not from the outward attack, but from inward compromise and unholy living. Let me say that one more time. Defeat comes not from the outward attack, but from inward compromise and unholy living. Amen? That's how we lose this battle. God brought judgment upon the Moabites as well, and Balaam was killed. So he gave up his gifting in pursuit of wealth. And so that's the way of Balaam. He gave up his gifting in pursuit of wealth. He gave up the calling that God placed upon his life and made money more important than God. And you know what? We need to think about this even with our careers. I've been in the same company for 34 years. You guys know I have a full-time job. And early on, they kept trying to promote me. And I kept saying, no, I'm good. I'll stay right here. Like, well, no, you, we want to, I'm good. When you promote people, they have to move and they have different things they have to do. And I, I know where I am and I know where I'm supposed to be. And I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm good with the job I have. So I've had the same, the, the job they hired me in 34 years ago is the same job I have now. I'm in outside sales. I love my job. I love what I do. I have no desire for anything else because those will make me move based on my job. And I want to be led by the Lord instead. Amen. And I want to be free to do what God's called me to do. Again, they gave up his gifting in pursuit of wealth. Again, touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. We get a little more about Balaam, though. Watch, look at verse 16. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking. You thought the first talking donkey was in Shrek, but it's actually in the Bible. <laughs> but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. We can get so far away from God that he'll have to use a donkey to wake us up. Amen? So what happened is he's on his way and there's an angel standing there with a sword in his hand that the donkey can see and Balaam can't. And the donkey, as they're walking in this narrow path, keeps banging Balaam's legs against the walls and trying to stop him because there's an angel standing in front of him with the sword. So donkey's actually trying to save his life. And as he's doing that, Balaam gets out of control and starts beating him. And he starts beating the donkey more and more and more. 
And then God opens the donkey's mouth. Pastor Day paraphrased, haven't I been a good donkey? Don't you see the angel? And Balaam kept whipping him. And here's this crazy part. He started arguing with the donkey. Worst off, he loses the argument to the donkey. The angel let him go. And again, four times. Only say what we've been told to say. And again, the love of money needs to be disobeyed. The way of Balaam is putting financial gain above obedience to God. And God is one who will not let you escape judgment. Amen? You know, I came here for a feel-good message. I thought I was going to be my best life now this week. That's not what happened today. But don't we need to hear this? I've been, I've been really convicted all week. It's been good. Just because, again, it's so easy to just be desensitized to sin in our life. It's just so easy to become more and more like the world if we're not careful. It's, uh, by the way, I, I can't remember the name of the movie off the top of my head right now. There's a movie I watched, and it's so good. It's a Christian movie. And the guy goes back in time. He's, it's, it's from the 1800s. He goes, time changers. He goes forward in time 100 years, and he had been arguing that all we need to preach is morality, and then people will get saved. And they were saying, no, they need to get saved, or they'll be immoral. And he goes 100 years forward in time, and he is blown away by how the world is. He goes to a movie with a bunch of Christians, and they're taking God's name in vain, and he runs out and tells them, they're taking God's name in vain in there. Turn off that thing in there. Not realizing, and all the Christians who walked out had no problem with it. You know, we need to be resensitized to sin, not desensitized to sin. Amen? Why? Again, it's not sin because God wants to keep you from fun. It's sin because God wants to keep you from harm. Amen? So when we sin, we're bringing destruction upon ourselves. And so God wants to keep us from it, not just to test us and to make us prove that we love him. He's doing it because he's our heavenly father and he knows what's best for us and he wants to keep us from harm and we need to learn to trust him. Amen? God said that's enough. People say to me sometimes, it's only the Bible twice. How many times do you need to be in the Bible? Once is enough. Amen? Notice it says here in verse 17, there are wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Here's the picture of this. False prophets are like dry wells. They're void of any refreshment. So here's, it's, here's this picture. So here you are a farmer and the land is dry and these big clouds come over the top and they're right above your farm and you're so excited that the rain is finally gonna fall. But before the rain can fall, after those clouds just sit there for a while, they're blown away, leaving no rain at all, having no impact on the dry ground around them. That's a false prophet. Comes in profiting, promising a bunch of stuff, promising a blessing, and he is blown away, leaving you with nothing. Amen? If anything, he's drawing you away from the truth. Their outwardly promise of rain is blown away without deliverance of a single drop. Clouds that bring only darkness, not nourishing rain. So, destiny of the righteous, to be delivered out of temptation. Praise God for that. Know that when you're tempted, that it's an opportunity not just to fall, but it's an opportunity to grow. God has not appointed us to wrath. Know that he will deliver us ultimately from righteous judgment before it comes. Then the, de the destiny description of the ungodly. Again, mainly this is false prophets. They're sexually immoral. They despise authority. 
They're presumptuous. They're bold in their false teaching. They're self-willed. They speak evil of dignitaries. They elevate their ideas above the word of God. They have no shame, which means they live their sin in front of the whole world, and they're not ashamed of it. It says they have eyes full of adultery. By the way, again, I know I'm picking on the Mormon church a little bit here, but it needs to be picked on. Joseph Smith had 30 wives. Brigham Young had 57. Do they have a problem with adultery? Amen? It says eyes of adultery, speaking of false prophets. That was written before he came. I think you could, have, you could put Joseph Smith right next to that. They're covetous. They follow the way of Balaam, leading others into sin for the sake of their own personal gain. They're dry wells, void of any real spiritual refreshment, and clouds that bring only darkness and no nourishing rain. They promise much and deliver nothing of substance. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we love everyone because, Lord, you died for everyone. And Lord, help us to see people through your eyes. Help us to love people the way you love them. At the same time, Lord, we know we cannot sit back when someone is coming in to the church and drawing people away to eternal destruction. So give us wisdom. Give us the words to speak. Lord, may we know the word of God well enough that we will recognize the counterfeit when it comes. That we will know the truth well enough that we will recognize the lie. Help us, Lord, to set a godly example in our homes. I pray for every mom here, every dad here. Help us to be an example to our children. Help us to set a, a standard of holiness in our homes. Not having to be perfect, not self-righteous, but recognizing, Lord, that it's a calling, of, a calling from you to raise up our kids in the way that they should go so when they are old, they will not depart from it. Help us, Lord, to love even the false prophets enough to tell them the truth. Then when they come knocking on our door with a heart of love and grace and mercy to speak the truth and do it in love. And Lord, we pray for divine appointments and opportunities to speak to people that need to hear you. We also pray, Lord, that those who are false prophets would be revealed. Lord, they would be driven out of any church where the word of God is being taught. Lord, we pray for their salvation, but if they won't get saved, we pray that you would remove them, Lord. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we know that this was not a feel-good chapter, but Lord, it's a great warning for all of us, Amen. a great testimony to all of us. Amen. May we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. Amen.